Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. We're going to finish up Revelation chapter 2 today. We're on Thyatira. Thyatira, a messed up church. How would you like to, speaking of messed up, how would you like to have a Jezebel in your church? You remember the, the wicked queen of King Ahab? The church we're going to look at today had one. Thyatira had a Jezebel in the church. Not the actual Jezebel, but a type, a picture of that Jezebel, fulfillment of that, really. Have you ever had one? I know at our church we've had several Jezebels over the years that tried to destroy our church, did their best to destroy our church. They were deceptive, greedy, proud, told lots of lies, envious, drunkards. Uh, there was a lot involved in this. And I remember confronting several of these Jezebels and there was never a repentance from either of the several ones. No repentance, so we ended up having to ask them to, well, we kicked them out uh, and saved the church. But Thyatira didn't do that. Thyatira didn't do what had to be done, and now they were going to face serious consequences, as we will see. It was a messed up church. Uh, lots of parallels with the church in the USA today, as we'll see, because Jesus is writing seven letters to seven actual churches here in Asia, province of Asia, <clears throat> but there's universal application that applies to every church from every age. And there's lots of parallels here with the USA Today, as we'll see. And in each of the letters, there's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. We're going to get through all of them today. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for your mercy and grace. We pray for your Holy Spirit's power to touch our hearts and to, to convict us and to perfect us. We pray for that through your word now. And if anybody has never put their faith in you, that today would be the day that as they're listening to this, they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read it first of all. Revelation 2, verse, starting with verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Good. Nevertheless, uh-oh, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. So, Thyatira, verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira. And we have a picture here of Thyatira now. You can see the ruins along with the, the modern city of Thyatira. It's, uh, if we go to the map, the map, Chicky does all the maps for me. Thank you, Chicky. Uh, 
the map, you can see on the map that there's the, the seven churches in a, in a loop there going around the province of Asia. And Thyatira connected Pergamum, which we already looked at, to Sardis, which we'll see next time. It, it connected these two important cities, Pergamum and Sardis, and Thyatira was right in the middle. It was a commercial town. It was a commercial town. It was famous for textiles, especially the color purple, which the Romans loved their purple. They loved to have purple togas, you know. Uh, the Romans loved that. It usually was, they usually got their purple from a snail. The Phoenicians discovered that if you stepped on a certain snail, purple came out. <laughs> Some kids must have been playing one day, who knows. And they said, oh, that would look great on my toga, you know. And, and so they used that. But in Thyatira, they found a root that also you could dye clothing with, which was much cheaper and easier to find and, and uh, didn't upset Peter quite as much as stepping on snails. So they, they found this root and that that's, they was cheaper and they started to use this to uh, dye and the textiles. And that's where a lot of purple from the Roman Empire came from right here in Thyatira. In fact, interesting connection in Acts Chapter 16, we find, in Acts 16, we find Paul, on the Sabbath day, Acts, uh, I'm sorry, 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. <clears throat> so very interesting, very likely that Lydia and her family established the church in Thyatira. Very likely they had a real big connection to that. Thyatira was also famous for its trade guilds. Its trade guilds, which were like unions, unions, think unions, and everybody had to join one. If you were in a certain product you're producing that had a certain guild, and you had to join that, and each one had a god that that oversaw the different unions, guilds, uh, and and they would have these feasts, and they weren't just normal feasts. They were, you know, think office parties, <laughs> Christmas parties, pretty crazy. There was an idol there that they had, they offered, the, they sacrificed the food to. There was a lot of drinking. Everybody got drunk. There was sexual escapades. Christmas office uh, office party, uh, but they would bring in the gods' temple prostitutes, and they could have sex with these prostitutes. And what was a Christian supposed to do? The church struggled with this because they had to belong to these guilds, but but they were Christians now, and and if they weren't part of the guild, they were they didn't get business. And but they were Christians, and they really struggled. How could they still? keep their business going, but not join in this idolatry and this sin. And that's, but they really struggle with this. And that's why even though it's a, this is the smallest city that we're going to look at, Thyatira, it has the longest letter, longest letter from Jesus. So what's verse 18 again, back to Revelations 2.18, to the church, angel of the church in Thyatira, these are the right, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Very interesting, the Son of God. The only time in Revelation that Jesus is called the Son of God. Now we know he's the Son of God. It's all over the New Testament. <clears throat> There's Lots of prophecies in the Old Testament for that matter. But the only time in the book of Revelation that he uses this title for himself. And it's interesting because the main local god of 
Thyatira was called Tyrin, Tri, Tyrimnus. Tyrimnus. Some of you who are no flowers, no Tyrimnus. That's the 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 um the pricker bush, you know, with a little purple thistle, the thistle, the pur- purple thistle coming up. That was from, uh, yeah, because of the purple. Uh, the purple thistle coming from Tyrimnus. I don't know if I'm really saying it right. But anyway, we always call them prickers or thistles. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the the main local god was Tyrimnus, and he was also the sun god, the sun god. And he was pictured on their coins as a warrior on a horse with a sword. But Jesus says, yeah, no, 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 Ty, uh, that doesn't work for me. I am the son of God, not the son of God, but the son of God and the real judge. And, and that's why it, here it's the eyes of fire. Jesus has the eyes of fire and the bronze feet. Both are signs of judgment in the Bible. And later on, we're going to see him on a white horse with a sword and, and his coming out of his mouth. We're going to see that all later in Revelation. So back to verse nine, up to verse 19 now. We see the good. There's the intro. Now we come to the good. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So the good is only one verse. That's not good. But one verse, there's some good here. The deeds, the love, the faith, the service, and the perseverance. And he said you're doing more now than you did at first. And that is the key to the Christian life, doing more and more. Stagnation is deadly. There is no such thing as neutral in the Christian life. If you put a car in neutral and you're on a hill, what does it do? It starts sliding backwards. And that's what the same thing as, as we are going up a hill, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And if we put it in the neutral, we're going to slide backward. Uh, that's what's going to happen. And, and, and it is called backsliding for a reason. Okay, And we have to either grow or we are dying spiritually. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1 says, has a real good point on this. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He says you're living well, but do it more and more. Keep moving forward. Second uh, Peter, in Second Peter but one, Second Peter 1, verse 5, it says this, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Adding, adding something onto each of these, right? Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he was nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to keep growing. Spiritual muscle is like regular muscle. Spirit, regular muscle, you either are using it and you're getting stronger or it's called atrophy. And the same thing with our spiritual muscle. We either use it and grow it and keep building it or it will atrophy. That's what will happen. Uh, where are we compared to when we first became a Christian? Think about when you first became a Christian. Where are you compared to that? Are you, are you a lot stronger? Are you moving forward? Where are you compared to a year ago? 
Is there more holiness? Is there more ministry? Is there more witnessing, sharing your faith? Is there more Bible knowledge and more time in prayer? Think about, are we increasing or are we in neutral? Are we stuck? If you are neutral, say, I'm kind of just chilling out for now. <laughs> You're not. You're rolling backward. Uh, there's no retirement in the Christian faith. You say, I did all that. I'm, you know, I'm older now. No, no. There's no retirement. There's only retreading uh, with, with Christians, okay? So, then he, he talks about the good, but then he comes to the bad. And there's three verses. Uh-oh. Three verses in the bad. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So we come to the the, the, the bad. It's a lot longer than the good. They tolerate this woman Jezebel. It's probably not a real name, but she's called this because of her sinful character. She's a type. The original Jezebel is in 1 Kings 16 through 2 Kings 9. I've been preaching that on Sunday mornings. Elijah and Elisha. If you want to hear a lot more about Jezebel, listen to that series. Very, very convicting. But she... Ahab married her. She was a pagan queen. He married her and she brought Baal and Ashtoreth idols uh, into uh, Israel and she, which brought along idolatry and sexual perversion and child sacrifice, which is what God finally judged them for. It was a final straw. Child sacrifice is the final straw when God will judge. USA beware. Listen to me. Beware. Another type of of Jezebel is found here in Thyatira. And it says here in Revelation that she calls herself a prophetess. And she's tempting them to sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols, just like the original Jezebel, <clears throat> just like a lot of Jezebels now. Uh, women, she was a prophetess. Women are not allowed to be pastors, not allowed to be church leaders in, in a church over men, spiritual leaders, teachers, not allowed to do that. The Bible is very clear on this. In Second Timothy, in Second Timothy two verse eleven, it says, "I gotta find it because I didn't mark it." Second, oh here it is. Uh, did I say Second Timothy? Uh, hold on. First Timothy, First Timothy two eleven to thirteen. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. The Bible cannot say it any more clearly uh, that women cannot be in a ministry position over men. They cannot pastor a church. They can be minister to women. They can do children. They can do youth ministry. Cannot pastor a church in spiritual authority over a man. And there are many who make all kinds of excuses and allow for this. And they say it's cultural and they say all kinds of crazy things. But Paul takes it to creation. There's no culture at creation. He took it to creation. That's God's created order. Just like the father, the, the son submits to the father, the woman is, is called to submit to the male man's and husband's or church leader's uh, authority. But they, but so many Christians and churches and ministries have have explained this away and call it cultural. That is a slippery slope. 
you are on a slippery slope if you do that. But prophetess were allowed and may still be allowed. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find prophetess. Uh, before the Bible is completed, prophets were common. Some believe there's still prophets today, some don't. If you do believe that prophet, prophecy is still for today, you better test it, all right? Uh, make sure you test it. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Better test it. There's a lot of people out there claiming to be prophets, making all kinds of prophecies. Saw a lot of them go down in flames over the election. Although things could still change. We'll see. But, but a lot of these people make these prophecies. And the Bible makes it clear. If someone gives a prophecy and it doesn't happen, they're a false prophet. Don't listen to them anymore. A lot of these New Testament prophets, well, 50%, that's pretty good. No, no, you're a false prophet. You should have been stoned already, all right, uh, according to the Bible. So, but my, my point is, <clears throat> if someone claims to be a prophet, they have to be 100% if they're making these prophecies. If they don't, don't listen to them anymore. Disqualify them, okay? But uh, this woman was definitely false. She was definitely false. First of all, she calls herself a prophetess. God didn't call her that, and the church didn't call her that. She calls herself, and not only that, what she tells them to do, <coughs> the sexual perversion and the eating the food sacrificed to idols, directly contradicts the Bible. And when somebody contradicts the Bible, right away, that's another test. First of all, in the, in the test in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the test is if their prophecies come true or not. That's a test. The second one is if they say anything that goes against God's word. Either way, they are a false prophet. And she's already a false prophetess. She is saying something that contradicts the Bible. In fact, in Acts 15, verse 19, it says, the New Testament, the, the church is giving this judgment. It says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Sexual immorality and, and uh, the, the food sacrificed to idols, and that's exactly what she's telling them they can do. So she's obviously a false prophetess. <clears throat> We're not sure quite how she tempted them, but possibly, probably saying it's okay to attend these guild feasts, these union feasts. You can eat the food. You can get drunk. You can have sex with the prostitutes. It's okay. you got to fit in with the culture. You know, it's cultural. So, uh, notice that the church here in Revelation, they're not at fault. God, Jesus doesn't condemn them because Jezebel is a false prophetess and she's teaching garbage. No, no. What does he judge them for? For tolerating her. They tolerated her. They didn't use church discipline. Church discipline is very clear. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to get a little blur there. Uh, church discipline, very clear what's supposed to do with a false teacher or somebody's in sin. Very clear, but they didn't exercise it. So this church and this woman are going to face God's judgment now because they didn't exercise discipline. They are going to face judgment. That's, the, that's what happens. And it's a warning for all of us today because church discipline in the USA today is very rare. And if you do practice it, then they just go to the next church over and they're welcomed with open arms and you get a black eye for dis Believe me, you get a black eye. Oh, that, that mean church over there. Oh yes, they're so mean and we've heard that. Uh, uh, but, but you better, it's better to have a black eye and be treated that way than to have a Jezebel in your church and let her destroy your church. And God gave them time to repent. And now they didn't repent, and now it's time for judgment. It's now time 
for judgment. And that's, that's the, that's the key here. I'm just making a little note here. They, they have a fatal, there's a fatal illness. The first Jezebel was eaten by dogs and her spiritual children are killed. That's exactly what happened to Jezebel's children. They were all killed. Uh, if you are involved, listen, this is sexual sin he's talking about. If you are involved in sexual sin, reread this. Read it again. Memorize it. Repent. Take God's grace while it's there. Repent. Do what you have to do. What, whoever you have to tell, Christian counselor, purity group, whoever you have to tell, Christian brother, sister, do, get rid of your phone, get rid of your computer, TV, whatever it takes to live pure. You better do it. Uh, do what you have to do. Take God's grace while it's there before it becomes discipline and then, then judgment. We have to live a pure life. Very important. Sexual sin is very serious because God has given us sexual uh, relationship for a husband and wife. It's a beautiful thing that he's given us. But any usage outside of that husband-wife relationship is taking a powerful gift, a powerful force, and using it for Satan and for sin and for destruction and self-destruction. That's what it's doing. So God so God has given them time to repent. Now it's judgment. He gives them a warning here, verses 24 and 25, back to Revelation chapter 2. A warning. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira to do it to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on, baby. That's what he says to those who aren't falling for this, not giving into this. Don't hold on to the false teachings, he says. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to what you have. And I know so many Christians in these apostate churches in the U.S., that are just trying to hold on. And I tell a lot of them, get out of there. Get out. They don't even preach the gospel. They don't use the Bible anymore. Get out of there. But some people feel like, no, I feel like I'm here as a missionary. They're, I'm the last chance these people have to hear the gospel. And so they, so if that's the case, you feel God's called you there, then hang on. You're doing great just hanging on there. You know, we see that so often, uh, you know, just in these churches that used to be gospel preaching churches. Now they're apostate. They're doing great just to hang on. Uh, then he gives him an encouragement in verses 26 to 29. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He gives them this encouragement. You're going to rule with me. You're going to rule in the millennium that's coming and you're going to rule eternally with me, with Jesus. And you're going to get the morning star. What's the morning star? The morning star, Venus. First bright star out at night and it's still visible just before the dawn. It's very, very bright. Uh, we love to go see uh, Venus. Uh, and out, out there in the sky. But the Romans considered a symbol of victory. The Romans used that as a symbol of victory. Venus and Jesus is applying it the same way, only in a different way. There is a victory. It's his victory. In fact, in Revelation 22, 16, right at the end of Revelation 22, verse 16, listen to what Jesus says. I can turn this last page, which is stubborn. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. 
Jesus is the bright morning star. He's giving us himself. He, he's going to share his victory with us. That's what he's talking about here. Now, let's apply this. Let's apply this to the church in the USA today, which is a big mess, just like Thyatira. I'm going to pick on the Protestants first. I'm going to pick on everybody today. Equal airtime. I'm going to pick on the Protestants first. Uh, the liberal Protestant churches. When you talk about sexual immorality, what do they consider sexual immorality? Nothing. <laughs> There's no such thing. Anything goes. Anything goes. And there's lots of Jezebels pastoring these apostate churches. Yes, you heard me right. There's a lot of women pastors. They've already gone pastors. They've already gone down the slippery slope. It's just cultural. And now they do the same thing with sexual sin. Homosexuality, it's not sinful. It's love. It's just love. You can't condemn love. You know, love finds a way. Whether it's heterosexual or homosexual or, or everything in between, uh, it, it's, it's all, it's all just love. Like I said, slippery slope. And they go from a slippery slope to off the cliff. This is a very serious cliff. Everything goes. These, uh, these Jezebels with these apostate churches, slippery slope. No, six, now off the cliff, sexual sin is okay. Everything is okay. It's all just cultural. And it's not just the, uh, liberal churches. The spirit of Jezebel has crept into the evangelical churches that used to be very solid, fundamental, Bible-believing churches. And now they, we see that they become just like the culture. We become cool. We're no longer fundamentalists. We're, we're evangelicals. We're cool. We're hip. We're woke. Uh, yeah, don't, don't put me in that category. Uh, sexual sin is not a big deal in these churches. Oh no, not a big deal. As you can see, a lot of the stories coming out of them. And, they, and, and the Christians there eat the same garbage as the, the evangelicals are eating the same garbage as the world. We watch the same filth, the same movies, the same TV shows. doesn't matter what's on. The same garbage on our phones, the same pornography. It's crazy what's going on. And, and, and what we've allowed, to, we've just given... We've just given into the culture and we've just accepted the false teachings of, of Jezebel in the evangelical churches. I saw an article not too long ago called The Evangelical Rethink on Divorce. And they said the evangelicals now accept divorce. It's no big deal. And I'm not, now listen, I'm not talking about someone who has a perpetually unfaithful spouse and they just have tried and tried and they can't. That person is not going to be faithful. That, the Bible says, except for marital unfaithfulness. I get that. But, but I'm talking about divorce for, that we in the evangelical church, evangelical church allow for any and every reason. Every and anything. He was mean to me. She's not meeting my needs. You know, everything in between. It's crazy. Crazy! It's like breaking up in high school. That's how we treat marriage now in the church. And if you practice church discipline, if I say to someone, "No, I'm not going to marry you again," you have no biblical grounds for the divorce. Well, it's a long time. I don't care. Go back to your wife. Oh no, I don't like her. Uh, go back. Then don't get remarried. You know, or you know, it doesn't matter. You you divorce for an ungodly reason. You don't have a doorway open to you now. And and I, if you practice that church discipline, I've had people come to me want to get married for the fourth and fifth time. I'm like, I'm not marrying you again. You you've been married enough. You know, I don't know how who married you all those other times. And, and but you have no biblical grounds and, and oh you're mean, Pastor Jack. We're going somewhere else and I found another pastor who will marry me. You know, and, and the and people in in your church won't support you because you're being mean. Oh yeah, but he's my friend. He's my friend. You know? I don't want him to be lonely. Well 
Yeah, you rather you go against God's word and fall under God's judgment. Listen, God hates divorce. He never said I hate homosexuality. We're all ready to stand up to homosexuality, which we should. It's a very serious sin. But heterosexual sin is also just as serious, and divorce is more serious. God says I hate divorce. Listen, homosexuality is not going to destroy the church in America. Divorce has already done it. Half of the Christians have already gotten divorced, divorced, and most of them have gotten remarried, and most of them should not have been remarried. The unfaithful shepherds that have remarried them without biblical grounds. And, and so you, you do this church this one, I won't do it, and folks will get mad, and they won't support you, and they'll say, I'm really on your side. Pastor Chuck's a mean guy. Or in other churches, welcome them with open arms, and oh, it's great to have another man. It's craziness. Craziness. That is what is happening. We are a mess up church, just like Thyatira. And there's another application we need to look at. Thyatira is also, I'll give a title for the second part, and that is the paganized church. Thyatira, the paganized church. And we're going to talk, give equal airtime. Now I'm going to go after our Roman Catholic friends. Now listen, if you're Roman Catholic, listen to the end. Hear the whole thing, because I know many of you are born again, and if you're truly saved, you're going to be able to take everything I say and look at the Word of God and compare what you are you know, hearing on, on the other side, and, and, and you're going to compare everything, they, everything you hear, whether you hear it from me or your priest or anywhere, whatever you've heard, catechism, whatever, um, you have to compare it all with the Word of God. Now, here's John. He's got this letter to seven churches, universal, all represent all of them, but each one also represents a prophetic stage. They're prophetic of a historical phase of history, a phase of history. Ephesus was up to 100 AD. Remember, what does Ephesus represent? The apostolic, the New Testament church. Smyrna was 100 to 300. It represented the persecuted church. Last time we looked at Pergamum, 300 to 600 AD, and we talked about the spoiled or indulged church. When God's holy Catholic church, part of it became known as the Roman Catholic church, thanks to Constantine and all the, the garbage that he brought in, and the church then was divided into two, east and west, but, but half the church was called the Roman Catholic church. We'll have to listen to Pergamum to get that whole part. But now we come to the chart, and Chicky will put that up. Thank you, Chicky. The chart where we see Thyatira, and it's called the corrupted or paganized church from 600 to 1500 A.D. Now, Jezebel, let's set this up. Jezebel, uh, she marries Ahab. Ahab marries this pagan queen. He mix, she mixes the worship of Baal and Asherah with the worship of the one true God, Jehovah. The, and this is a picture of what has happened in this church phase from, from 600 to 1500 A.D. The church is increasingly paganized. It started with Constantine, and now the, you know, he primed the pump, and now the avalanche breaks out. It, it, it's, it's paganized. It's the only time that the word adultery is used in the seven letters of this, these churches. The only time. And that is because the church commits spiritual adultery during this phase. Verse 19, there's some good. It's not all negative during this whole time. No, no, no. Their deeds, he knows their deeds. Even in the darkest time, the church uh, groups within the church fed the poor and they, they helped the sick and they built hospitals and they did a lot of very, very positive things. Education. He also knew our faith. Verse 19 knows our faith. There was always a godly remnant 
in the Roman Catholic Church, just like there is today. 30% of Roman Catholics say are born again. There's always been a godly remnant who knew that it wasn't about religion, but it was about a relationship. It wasn't about following rules or works, but it was about faith in Jesus. And there's always been that remnant from forever. I know priests. I know many of my Catholic friends. They're born again. They have put their faith in Jesus. I know that. Uh, but like Thyatira, this time the bad outweighs the good. From 600 to 1500 A.D., in that time landed the Dark Ages, 500 to 1000 A.D. was the Dark Ages with the Black Death and the Crusades and all kinds of garbage. It was spiritually the darkest time of all in church history. This is the time when the church merged the pagan religions with Christianity. The Bible ended up being blocked being buried. The light of Jesus Christ became very dim because it was buried under a lot of false teaching. I'm just going to read you some from a, a Tim LaHaye's book, Revelation Unveiled. Uh, just going to read you some of the stuff that happened in this time frame. 700, 709 A.D., the kissing of the Pope's feet. <laughs> uh, 786, worshiping of images and relics, which the Greek Orthodox Church, by the way, did the same thing and does the same thing. 995, uh, so East and West, both are covered here. 995, the canon, canonization of dead saints. 998, fasting on Friday and during Lent. 1079, celibacy of the priesthood. Hmm, not in the Bible. Here it is. Uh, came from the Babylonian religions. Uh, one, 1090, the prayer beads. 1184, 1184, the Inquisition began and went for hundreds of years, 500 years in total. Uh, 1190, the sale of indulgences. Still, indulgences are still there. Read your catechism. Uh, 1215, transubstantiation. 1220, adoration of the wafer. Uh, ooh, the whole mass thing really took hold here. Thyatira means continual sacrifice. That's one of the meanings of the word continual sacrifice. And that's when the, 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 the mass took on a whole different meaning, really for salvation itself, took on a whole different meaning that it was never meant to take. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's to remember what he did. It's not the re, re, re-crucifying and, and dying. And that's all, this all evolved over time here with some very pagan popes. I'm going to say that. Uh, 1229, the Bible was forbidden to the lay people. You could not read the Bible for yourself. Why? Because it would contradict everything you've been hearing. So people were getting upset. They didn't, if they got the Bible, people were burned at the stake. Many, many were burned at the stake. John Wycliffe, John Huffs, many others were martyred for just translating the Bible or reading the Bible uh, into the people's language. 1414, the cup was forbidden to people at communion. 1439, purgatory is decreed. It's not in the Bible anywhere. No, no, no. Invention, invention goes along with selling indulgences. 1439, the seven sacraments are affirmed. 1508, the Ava Maria is approved. And then we see the pump has been primed and then it turns into an avalanche. This stuff is after this time period. But 1534, Jesuit order is founded. 1545, tradition is granted equal authority with the Bible. Dangerous, dangerous false teaching. Horrifying, really. Uh, 1546, the apocryphal books are put into the Bible. They were never recognized as biblical. They were put in as a reaction to, to the Reformation. 1854, the Immaculate Conception of Mary was established. 
Wait, not till 1854. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 1870, the infallibility of the Pope is declared. Whoa, not until 1870. You're getting a picture here, aren't you? Uh, 1950, Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Not till then. 1965, Mary's proclaimed the mother of the church. Listen, these things are not in the Bible. They contradict the scripture, and that's why they're so dangerous. The Roman Catholics, they have the same Bible and the same doctrine. We have the same, except they have the apocryphal in the middle, but the same rest of the Bible, same same doctrinal statement. They, they have the same salvation by putting your faith in Jesus. That's why 30% are born again. But so much of the truth has been buried under, under an avalanche of false teaching that, that it's hard to get to for the average Catholic. They have to really dig into the God's Word. And, and, uh, and that's what happened during this prophetic time period. But the worst part, the most serious of all, was the work salvation that these apostate popes came up with, that you had to work your way into salvation. Thyatira also means continuous works. Continuous sacrifice, continuous works. And that's what happened. They started to teach that works, you had to earn your salvation, which was nowhere in the God's Word. Never. Nowhere in God's Word. Old Testament, New Testament, were saved by faith. Completely saved by faith. Works are important. We'll see that in just a minute. But they don't, don't save us. Nothing to do with salvation. But, but Roman Catholicism, the official teaching is that you're justified at your baptism. Babies baptized. That's not in the Bible either. Believer baptism only. Justified at baptism. And then you have to work. You have to be confirmed and work your way to keep that salvation. The Council of Trent went so far as to say, if you say you know you are saved, you have salvation, then you are condemned to hell. That's the Council of Trent completely contradicting the clear teaching of the Bible. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. That's, we, we have the word to know we have eternal life by putting our faith in Jesus. That's a complete contradiction that we must work for our salvation. Look in your catechism. It teaches you have to work. I've read the catechism many times. You have to work for your salvation. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, very clear. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. No works. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Woo! We are saved by faith, not by works. Paul, the Apostle Paul couldn't make it any more clear. I don't care what any pope has said throughout history. The Apostle Paul, I'll take his word. I'll take the Bible's word that we are saved by faith, putting our faith in God's grace. But good works are very important, but they don't save us. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this not for yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by faith, but good works are important. They show that the faith is real. The very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good, good works. They don't save us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is by putting our faith in God's grace. And yet we're saved so that we can do good works. And, and that's what shows that our faith is real. If someone does not have good works, that's not real faith. But that doesn't save us. The good works don't save us. They just prove that the faith is genuine. That's what James is all about. James is not a contradiction saying that you're saved by works. No, no. It's simply saying that if your faith Faith is real. Good works will 
follow. Very, very important, okay? But so many of us get it mixed up. So many think that they can, the good works save, and they don't. We're saved by putting our faith in God's grace that Jesus died for our sins on that cross, rose again after three days from the dead to prove he was the Son of God, prove that he could give us a new life. We put our faith in Jesus and what he did for us, dying for our sins in our place. But then good works better follow. Verse Ephesians 2.10. The big question I always ask everybody, the big question, if you were to die and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And this gets right to it to find out if someone has put their faith in Jesus or depending on something else. Because so often I hear, well, I'm a good person or I've been baptized or I go to church or, or, and something they are doing or have done that they're depending on. And that's, you know, nope, no, 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 no. You know, the buzzer, gong, nope, doesn't work. It, that is not the way. There's only one. One right answer to that question that is I put my faith in Jesus. I'm trusting in Him. I'm trusting in Him, His grace. I have put my faith in Jesus to get right with God. That's the only answer. Do you have you would you have answered would did you answer that right? That you've put your faith in Jesus, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. That do you know that you're saved from sin, from this empty life, from hell itself, through faith in Jesus Christ? That's the only way. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus, given your life to Him, surrendered your life to Him? Jesus didn't come to, to give us religion. He didn't come to give us rules to follow, but He wants us, He came to give us a relationship with His Father. That's why we are saved. It's not about guilt and fear. That's not what this is about. It's about getting to know our loving Father who wants a close relationship with us. Do you have that relationship by putting your faith in Jesus? And if you do have that, are you sharing that with other people? Are you sharing that with Protestants and Roman Catholics? Are you sharing that? Do you know how to share that truth with people? Do you know the, know the word? It's, and when you're, when you are witnessing to say someone who grew up as a Roman Catholic, be ready to share the, the, the love of Jesus Christ and, and share the word. Let them see it in the Bible. Very, very important. And recognize that that many Roman Catholics are already born again. That they already do know, they have already put their faith in Jesus. They're already saved, but they just need encouragement to be in the Word and to grow. That's what they need. You, you can get them into a Bible study and help them grow in the Word. And, 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 and keep maybe something online that they watch on a regular basis. That the Word, that's what they need. That encouragement to grow and to be in the Word. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, I want to ask the question again. If you were to stand before God today, and it could happen, this very moment it could happen, and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If it's anything besides, I have put my faith in God's grace. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Any other answer, then you need, then you need to take a step of faith right now. You can pray the prayer of faith right now. You can give your life to Jesus right now. Nothing you can do except surrender. Believe and receive, the Bible talks about. Believe and receive. The simple prayer of faith, God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my old life. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. 
I'm giving my life to Jesus. The prayer of faith. And for the rest of us who have put our faith in Christ, how is this this letter letter to Thyatira convicted us? What in our life that Jesus warned about? What in our life needs to be repented of? What do we need to deal with? May we fall into the teachings of Jezebel somehow. May we fall into what she has taught, the sexual immorality. And that's no big deal, but it is a big deal to Jesus. It's a really big deal. Maybe we can, what, what do we need to pray about and to cut out of our life and to live pure? Who do we need to talk to to maintain that purity? Father, I pray that everyone listening would would know for sure that they have been saved through faith in your grace. And Lord, that we would be living by that grace. We would be living holy and pure lives, ready for Jesus Christ by that grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, next time we'll be starting Revelation.